0: If you have your Bibles, as I said already, we're going to continue our study through the book of Revelation. We are in Revelation chapter 13 this morning, and we're going to start in verse 11 to the end of the chapter. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand, and the guys will get one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. Revelation chapter 13 verses 11 through 18 this morning. Good morning, online church. Forgot to say that already. Glad you're here. Or glad you're watching. Not here. Glad you're watching there where you're at. (laughs) So. Revelation 13, starting in verse 11, we read uh, the Apostle John recording here. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs so that, even, that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. Verse 15, he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. The title of my message this morning is The Beastie Boys. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time this morning. Lord, thank you for your word as you've given to us. Uh, just everything we need for life and godliness found in your word, Lord. You've given us your truth, and it's the truth of your word that sets us free. Lord, we thank you for our study in the book of Revelation, because Revelation is the revealing of your Son, Jesus Christ, to us. And every page, Lord, every word that we come across, Lord, we understand, Lord, that you're speaking to our hearts and giving us not only information, but application in our lives that would draw us closer to you in our relationship with you. Father, we pray if there's anyone here or anyone watching online, they're not born again yet. They, they're not uh, saved. They don't know if they were to die today, they would, go, they would go to heaven. Lord, would you especially speak to their hearts, help them to see their need for you, and that they would turn to you this morning in faith. So bless our time together, we pray. We committed to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as chapter 13 began, we were introduced to the Antichrist. Verse 1 of chapter 13 said this, and you can look at this. And I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his head a blasphemous name. As we come to the rest of the chapter, we see in verse 11, John sees another beast Then in verse 15, we see the image of the beast. That's the title of my message, the Beastie Boys. Listen, the world is a jungle, and jungles are full of beasts, but be thankful that Jesus is the king of the jungle, because at his time and in his choosing, he will hunt down these beastie boys and do away with them. Now, with that said, Revelation chapter 13, as we've seen, is pretty much the definitive chapter on the subject of the Antichrist or the beast as he is called, and the false prophet, or the second beast, and the image of the beast. These events in chapter 13 take place after the church has been safely tucked away in heaven via the rapture of the church. We saw way back when we were studying uh, Revelation chapter 4. After that, seven years of great tribulation comes upon the earth. Last week, we saw how the Antichrist would rise to power during this time, and he will rule over a one-world government that will be more powerful than all of the five greatest world empires in history. It will be a revived Roman Empire. We also saw how the Antichrist was going to have the alignment of ten nations that will give him the muscle and the power like we've never seen before to pursue and accomplish his agenda. The final world kingdom, scholars agree, will be born out of the European Union, the revived Roman Empire. Now, with that said, what we're about to look at this morning in comparison to what's going on in our world today, I would say we are very, very close to the fulfillment of these things in chapter 13. As we look around in our world today, we see signs everywhere pointing to the soon return of Jesus Christ. I read a story about some Christians that were standing by the side of the road holding up a sign that read, The end is near. Turn yourself around now before it's too late. They planned to hold up that sign for every person that drove by to see. First driver uh, sped by and rolled down his windows and said, You stupid Christians, leave us alone. And then went a little bit further and there was this big splash. One of the Christians turned to the other and said, Do you think we should just put a sign up that says, Bridge Out instead? Listen, folks, I believe God is telling us all, saved and unsaved alike, people get ready, Jesus is coming soon. And my prayer is, if you're not born again this morning, that you will come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior today. Now, if you're taking notes this morning, I have divided our verses up into four points. We're going to see, number one, the false prophet. Number two, the satanic signs and wonders. Number three, the image of the beast. And number four, the coming economic system of the beast. Number one, the false prophet. Look at verses 11 and 12 again. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. The Bible teaches us that in the last days, Satan is going to use every kind of deception, wicked deception, to fool those on their way to destruction. So that whatever we hold true as Christians, uh, you could be sure that there is a counterfeit, counterfeit version, a bogus version, a cheap imitation coming from the devil himself. He attempts to counterfeit pretty much everything we have. And here we have, in chapter 13, we have the counterfeit trinity. We saw Satan as the dragon, counterfeiting God the Father. We see the Antichrist, or the counterfeit Christ, in place of Christ. And the false prophet, we read about, he's really the counterfeit Holy Spirit. We know the Holy Spirit has come to point people to Jesus Christ. Whereas the false prophet, this religious leaders we will see will point people to the Antichrist. He will be the person who, will, who sets out to convince the world that the Antichrist is worthy and deserving of worship. He's the one who's going to enforce the worship of Antichrist upon penalty of death. See, John writes here in verse 11 that he saw another beast coming up out of the earth. And that's interesting because we looked at last week in verse 1 that the first beast, the Antichrist, came out of the sea. The sea in in Bible typology always refers to Gentile nations as opposed to the land referring to Israel. So the mention of the sea here indicates that the Antichrist is not going to come from Israel. In fact, chapter 17 goes on to say that the beast will come from the ten Gentile nations that stem from the old Roman Empire that make up the last world empire. But we read here this false prophet is going to come from the earth. Now, quite possibly... Uh, A reference to Israel, but more than likely another reference to the abyss or what lies beneath the earth. The, The false prophet, wherever he comes from, though, he's going to be sent forth and controlled by a powerful demon from below. We know this. We know that he's going to be some sort of religious leader. We know this because of his description in verse 11. He had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. It's really as a, as a mixed metaphor. You know, we know what mixed metaphors are. You know, it's something the same but different. You know, it's like you're up a tree without a paddle. It, it, you know, it's the same but different. Well, this false prophet here is going to come on the scene as a lamb, meek and, and gentle, with two horns symbolizing strength and power, to have the appearance of meekness and gentleness, but to speak as a powerful dragon. In other words, his meekness is only an outward appearance that covers up his inward corruptness. He's going to be speaking with the authority of Satan, what Satan wants him to say. Now we also know that Jesus is referred to as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, this false prophet is going to come on the scene, seen as a Lamb, very religious, but he will have one goal and one goal alone, to deceive people and point them to the as coming world leader. See, whereas the Antichrist is going to be the the political leader forming a one-world government, a one-world monetary system, the false prophet is going to be a religious leader that will bring the world religions together, forming a one-world religion all under the authority of the Antichrist. It's interesting to me that uh, there are many world religions today are looking for just such a man to come onto the scene, a religious figure that will bring enlightenment to the world. And again, verse 11 says the false prophet is going to come up out of the earth. And that's interesting because in Islam, they believe that their final religious leader that's going to arrive, the 12th uh, Imam, or Mahdi as he's called, many Muslims are expecting him to come up out of a well out of Iran. Interesting. A well, you know, is a hole in, in the earth. Therefore, the beast would be coming up from the earth. I find that interesting. Could you imagine how the Muslim world would react seeing something like that? They would cling to every word he had to say. He could stand up and proclaim to the Muslim world that they misunderstood the prophecies of his coming and instead he would point the people to the European Antichrist, the beast from the sea, for them to worship. How about classic Buddhism? It also speaks of the expectancy of the fifth uh, Maitreya, who will be the successor to the present Buddha and will appear on earth in the future and achieve complete enlightenment. He too could stand up and proclaim the Buddhist world that they misunderstood the prophecies of his coming and instead he'll point people to the European Antichrist, the beast from the sea, for them to worship. Hindus, today, they're waiting for the arrival of the 10th avatar who's interesting enough, they believe, will come riding in on a white horse and carrying a sword. (coughs) Well, that was loud. Excuse me. Wow. That woke us all up. Man. Krishna Avatar, and numerous other cults and groupings hold beliefs which are significant to the concept of this coming world religious leader. Now, naturally, such a religious leader will have to be very highly ecumenical if he's going to satisfy all the requirements of all the different sects and religions who are waiting for his coming. Now, one doesn't have to look too far uh, other than the Catholic Church to see that there is a man that could fit all these descriptions, plus have the power of bringing all these world religions together under under one big ecumenical movement. We've seen it already, one that can bring together all these men from different faiths under one umbrella. It's interesting that Pope Francis has done this on, on, on a number of occasions where he's invited all these different faiths coming there to the Vatican to pray, as he's saying, praying to the same God that he prays with. He's gained, he, has, he has made some very strong moves to gain popularity with our culture today, going so far as to say that atheists don't need to believe in God in order to gain God's favor. To endorsing same-sex unions, he seems to be the most liberal of all the popes telling the people what they want to hear. Exactly what the Bible warns about will be happening in the last days. People will be looking for teachers who will tell them what they want to hear. 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4 tells us, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. That's how this false prophet is going to come on this scene. So this false prophet, whoever... He may be. He will emerge as a leader of a false religious system, of which we'll read about more in chapter 17. But this is the reason why Jesus warned back in Matthew 7, 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. See, that the second beast is the epitome of all false prophets combined. He's, he's like the John the Baptist of, of, of false prophets, you know, of, of the first beast. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew twenty four twenty three, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. He said in 20, Matthew twenty four twenty six, therefore, if they say to you, look, he's in the desert, do not go out, or look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. It's likely he will be one of them. Look at verse 12. It says, he will exercise the authority of the first beast in his presence, and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Now again, if you missed last time uh, with us, last time together we looked at how the Antichrist will have this uh, apparent uh, assassination on his life. He will appear to have died and then rise from the dead. As God grants Satan the ability not to create life, but to resuscitate the Antichrist and bring him back from physical death. We saw how Zechariah chapter 11 verse 17 describes this and how the Antichrist's right eye will be totally blinded and his arm shall completely wither. I guess you can make that, you know, say that the false prophet makes it the Antichrist's right-hand man now because of all of that. But in any case, uh, after the assassination attempt, this false prophet is going to come on the scene and promote the Antichrist as one to be worshipped. You know, Jesus said many things that are recorded in his word for those that'll end up going through the great tribulation period. He knew that there would be those that would not receive Christ before the rapture of the church or until after the rapture of the church, and so he gave them warnings, something they could look to after the rapture took place. Matthew twenty four twenty four for false Christ and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. If it were possible, even the very elect would be deceived. But that's not possible because the elect have been safely tucked away in heaven at this point. But this brings us to our second point in verse 13 and 14, that is the satanic signs and wonders. Look at verse 13 and 14. This is speaking of the, 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 uh, the, uh, the false prophet. He says, he performed great signs so that even that he even makes fire come down from heaven on earth in sight of men, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. This word performs here is in a tense that indicates repeated activity. He does sign after sign after sign. The signs are designed to persuade mankind to follow after the Antichrist. And one of the signs we read about, we read about, is that the false prophet will even make fire come down from heaven on the earth inside of men. This could be fire from heaven similar to that of the two witnesses we read about earlier who many believe are Moses and Elijah. We looked at how one of their defenses during the tribulation will be if anyone tries to stop them, fire comes out of their mouths and destroys them. Well, this false prophet is going to seek to sway men's hearts into believing he has the same power. Again, let me tell you, Satan is a talented deceiver. He's able to deceive like no one else. I think of the plagues that came upon Egypt and the magicians of Pharaoh's court, how they duplicated them, which was a pretty dumb idea when you think about it because they would just get double trouble. Oh, God brings lice? Watch, we can bring lice too. (laughs) What good is that? That's not very smart. (laughs) Now, it did reach to a point where it separated the men from the boys and they eventually could not do what only God could do because God is omnipotent. God is all-powerful. Satan is not. But he is, Satan is, an a, uh, experienced imitator. And he tries to imitate just about everything that God does. And the closer we get to the last days, the more religious deception we are going to see. And sadly, sadly it's manif- manifest- manifested in churches that base their whole ministry upon emotional experiences. You'll hear of church slogans that say, well, come experience God at our church. One church I heard of apparently has frequent appearances of glory clouds, supposed angel feathers or gold dust floating in the air from the air ducts. And people are buying into it. And sadly, today in many churches they've been set up to be deceived into thinking that that experience alone is the authority. That these so-called signs and wonders are, are taking place, so it must be from God. Listen, subjective experience isn't the authority. The authority is the Bible. The authority is the Word of God. I would rather have a church with the slogan, come learn who God is through the study of His Word and give your heart and life to Him completely and then you'll experience God every moment of your life. That's why if you look in your bulletin on our statement of faith, you don't need to do it right now, I'll read it. It says, we reject doctrinal viewpoints or spiritual phenomena which are based solely on experience. We look to the Word of God for the basis of all our faith and practice. But sadly, that's not the case in our world today. So many people go into these religious services for that experience, for that emotional chill. Whoo, you know, I, I, it was wonderful. I felt this way and I had a, a shiver down my back and I felt this, this and I felt that and oh, they touched my head and I felt backwards. It was wonderful. I experienced God. No, I don't think so. See, people are fooled into thinking what's going on. The happy feelings and the excitement constitute a relationship with God. No, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Faith doesn't come by signs and wonders. Signs and wonders follow faith. Don't be deceived. Don't be led astray. If you're an emotional person who's given to put great emphasis on experience, be careful you're not led astray uh, by false phenomena done in the name of Jesus. As I said, it's not how high you jump and how straight you walk when you hit the ground. And the only way to have a straight walk is to be in the Word of God. David said, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path in Psalm 119, 105. My point is this false prophet is going to come upon on the scene and he's going to perform these satanic signs and wonders and people are going to buy into it hook, line, and sinker because they've been pre-programmed to look for signs and look for wonders and not the word. Again, verse 14 says, and he, that is a false prophet, deceives, which means to lead astray, those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, that is the Antichrist, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. So this false prophet, he's going to do these signs and wonders, and in so doing, it's going to lead the people to build an image of the beast, of this Antichrist who was wounded by the sword and now lived. And that brings us to our third point, the image of the beast. See, the people of the earth during this time will not only be led to to worship the beast, but to actually create an image of him. This icon, some type of resemblance of the Antichrist that they will be commanded to worship. Now, There's been a whole lot of speculation as to what this image is. Many have thought it could be a, a statue or a carving or a mannequin or a wax mold of some sort. But it really hasn't been until this last century that all that has changed. Technology today is such in that it's given us way, uh, given given way to all sorts of new possibilities as to what the image of this beast may be like. For those of you Star Trek fans like myself, it could be similar to Commander Data. Commander Data. Maybe you're a Marvel fan, something like Vision from the Avengers. I recently saw an episode of, of Picard, uh, the series, and, and, uh, where Captain Picard, he dies, and his consciousness is then transferred over into an artificial body to look just like him, and he comes to life, and, and, and he's, he's living again in this artificial body. That's interesting to me because the movies have already come up with this idea. And the point being is there, there could be this artificial body of the Antichrist that, that has the ability to speak and to move and to function like a real person. I'm not saying that's what it is, but the technology is here for that. In fact, according to the Weizmann Institute of Science in Israel, back in 2009, technology was developed to create a sophisticated biomolecular computer using nanotechnology, enabling this biomolecular computer to think logically. What that means is for the last 10 years, 12 years, uh, uh, 11 years, 12 years, (laughs) they've had the ability to create artificial intelligence that could think logically and literally be shaped in human form as an image of the beast. No longer speculation about a carving or mannequin or a wax mold. It could literally be the exact image of the Antichrist. Look at verse 15 this false prophet, this religious leader, verse 13, he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Whatever this image is, the false prophet is able to give breath to it and give it the appearance of life. Not real life. Satan does not have the power to create life. All he can do is enable the false prophet to give the deception that this image has life. Some have uh, speculated that the false prophet could cause an evil spirit to inhabit the image because the word for breath there could also be translated spirit. In other words, that, that, that it's possible that an evil spirit can, 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 control, can control this image where the image is not actually alive, but the evil spirit makes it have the appearance of being alive. In any case, whatever it is, verse 15 says that as many as would not worship the image of the beast, they would be killed. So there has to be some sort of electronic digital image that will be broadcasted in every home and place of business or worshiped through, through television, through computers, through handheld PC devices, cell phones, small chips under your skin, or perhaps it could be the, the 5G technology to trace and detect whether or not you're worshiping the beast. Folks, the technology is here already. Now it's just a matter of time uh, before we see how it's going to be used by the false prophet, by the Antichrist. This brings us to our fourth and final point, the coming economic system of the beast. Look at verses 16 and 17. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Verse 16, he causes all. All in, the, in that case means all classes of people. They're described in, in contrasting pairs. Small and great. Uh, they'll, they'll still exist during this time, but, but, but great will not exempt you from being small. Exclude you, exclude you from receiving the mark. Neither will rich and poor, free and slave. You all have to receive the mark no matter where you are in, in the social ladder. Apparently spreading the wealth will never really work. I mean, the the concept here is that wealth will be useless unless you are participating in the beast system. No one will be exempt, John says, from being required to receive the mark. Now, understand that the mark is not going to be forced on people. They're not going to hold a person down and force them to take the mark. It'll be a, a choice as they pledge their allegiance, as they pledge their worship to the Antichrist. In other words, people are going to want to openly take this mark. But it's still a choice. Now, without it, we will not be able to conduct any personal business whatsoever without swearing allegiance to the Antichrist. There will be no access to public health services, no access to travel, no Walmart purchases, no gasoline, no fast food. It will be worse because the homeless will not be able to beg. No one can give you money because it's going to be a cashless system. Sure, you can have goods or provide services free, but you'll be risking punishment if you do. And think about this. If someone has taken the mark, why would they want to help someone who hasn't? Listen, only in our generation, in our lifetime, is this technology possible. Today we have true global commerce. Through the Internet, other means, you, you, you can buy or sell and conduct all kinds of business in real time over the entire world. The technology has existed now for several years to put your personal, financial, health information all on a microchip that can be inserted uh, on, a, on a chip underneath your skin. No one knows how the mark will be imprinted on the hand or the forehead. and I'm not saying everything I suggest you will necessarily become the mark of the beast. But again, the technology... It's certainly here. Now we know that in past some have thought that barcodes were the mark of the beast. I'm old enough to remember when they first put barcodes on items. It was on a Wrigley back of gum. I was working at a grocery store at the time and people were refusing to buy the gum because it had the mark of the beast on the Wrigley's gum. Didn't know much about it, but I knew that wasn't the case. Debit cards, remember when those came out? It was the mark of the beast, social security numbers. While those were not the mark of the beast, the technologies behind them are certainly precursors to later technologies that would be even more powerful in the hands of the Antichrist. I think by now, it's been around a long time, we've all heard of the VeriChip. It's been out quite a while. It's that injectable identification chip that can be inserted under the skin of a human being to provide biometric verification. It's uh, uh, manufactured by Applied Digital Solutions, about the size of a grain of rice. The way it works is it holds an identification number on this electromagnetic coil for transmitting data. The components are enclosed inside a silicon and glass container that is compatible with human tissue. The chip, which uses an RFID uh, stands for radio frequency identification can be read by a proprietary scanner for up to four feet away. The changing, or, or the, the, the changing temperature of your body keeps it permanently charged. I think about this. Certainly the technologies here that would enable a person who has had the COVID-19 vaccine to get this chip underneath their skin, on their hand or on their forehead, verifying that they have had the vaccination. And only those that have had the vaccination can travel on planes, can go into grocery stores, can buy food without wearing a mask because you've been proven to have the vaccination. Now, I'm not saying they're doing that presently, and I'm not saying that Bill Gates is pushing for it. It's been proven to be a conspiracy theory. But my point is this. Again, the technology is here right now. And it could be easily put into place for people to get used to it. The technology has been here for quite a while for a cashless society. Global cashless technology is so in your face today that we tend to forget uh, that it was an incredible prophecy from 2,000 years ago. You know, it, it'll be the answer to the so-called coin shortage. We've seen places today that will no longer accept cash-only cards, all in the name of, of curving the pandemic. Everything pointing to a cashless society. A place, a system where everyone is going to receive a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And I'm gonna scroll up all my notes to the very beginning of my notes to let you know they messed up. Okay. Keep going, keep going. Talking about the mark. Okay. Bill Gates, okay. Everything is pointing towards a caste society. You know, where, where you, know, you just need a mark on your right hand, your forehead, you won't be able to buy or sell without that mark. You know, such a thought, you know, seemed ludicrous, what, 70 years ago, 50 years ago. But again, modern technology is not only possible, but we're heading towards it with full speed. I mean, for several good reasons. I mean, think about this. The banking industry, they would love a cashless society. Listen, every check costs them between 35 to 60 cents to process, but an electronic transaction, that costs nothing. That's why banks have a real interest in seeing us move solely to an electronic funds transfer system. Small businesses, they lose millions every year over employees who steal from the till. The IRS, they want to cast this society because the government loses an estimated $1 trillion a year in taxes from those who are paid under the table. Eliminate cash, and that wouldn't be possible anymore. Law enforcement agencies—they're pushing for this. Why? Eliminate cash, and you eliminate bank robberies, you eliminate store holdups, but more importantly, you would send a death blow to the drug dealers who rely on cash to deal for drugs. So there are a lot of good reasons to go to a cashless society. And the recent bio-computer chip technology has made this very, very possible. So it's clear to see that the world, like never before, is being set up for all these prophecies to be fulfilled. No other time in history have we seen all these things coming together at once. Let me now clarify a few things before we move on. First and foremost, I don't plan on being here when this takes place. The closer these things become to reality, the closer I believe we're going to be raptured out of here, out of the, out of the, the church. It's going to be raptured out of here. We'll look at more of that when we close. Secondly, the chip or something like it may or may not be the technology that is used during the Great Tribulation. It certainly fits the scenario, but it could be something altogether different. So if you choose today to get a chip inserted under your skin that says you've been vaccinated, that doesn't mean you've taken the mark of the beast yet. (laughs) Thirdly, the mark is something... uh, beyond technology. As I shared already, it involves swearing uh, allegiance to and worshipping of the Antichrist. The technology may be used by him, but a person must make a conscious decision to stay in the system by worshipping the Antichrist. So again, you, you can't say, oh no, I accidentally took the mark of the beast. No. <laughs> It'll be during the tribulation period. You won't be here if you're a Christian. It'll be voluntary and it will be pledging your allegiance to this Antichrist, this man of sin. Listen, it could be as simple as a tattoo on the forehead or on your right hand. Well, Whatever it is, if you choose not to take the mark, then you will be put to death. Finally, look at verse 18. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is six, six, six. What does it mean to to calculate it? Well, the Greek word rendered "calculate" in English means to count with pebbles, to compute, calculate, reckon. It's to total it up. The one who has understanding is to calculate it. With that, I ran ran across a a funny illustration. If 666 is the mark of the beast, then 1-666 is the beast area code. And 00666 is a zip code and six 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 is the social security number and one eight hundred six 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 zero six 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 is his toll free hotline and route 666 is his highway of the beast and six six seven is a street address to the beast next door neighbor. You know I think if we gave an award for one Bible verse that has drawn more speculation than any other it would be this one. Everyone from Nero to Hitler to Kennedy to Kissinger to Gorbachev to Clinton to Tony Blair to Obama to Mickey Mouse has somehow been associated with the number 666. I ran across this comment from one lady who said, I don't know about in history, but I personally know who the Antichrist is. It's my mother-in-law. Seriously, she is. She has stated himself in the form of psychotic, delusional, controlling woman with no capacity to love. I hope you never cross paths with her. No, your mother-in-law is not the Antichrist. You know, you hear people say, well, it's Bill Gates. He's the Antichrist because the numbers for the World Wide Web, WWW, is 666. Recently, I, I heard people say, Jared Kushner, President Trump's son-in-law, was the Antichrist because he owned the building in New York with the address 666. Fifth Avenue. Maybe that's why he sold it two years ago. I don't know. With all those theories, let me introduce you a different idea. Throughout the Bible, six is the number of man. It's one less than seven. Seven is the number of God's perfection. And man at his best always falls falls short of God's ideal. Yet, next to Jesus, the one man in the Bible who may have come closest was... A man named King Solomon. Remember in Luke chapter twelve, verse twenty-seven, Jesus said of the lilies, "Even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these." In Luke eleven thirty-one, Jesus applauded the wisdom of Solomon. In the Old Testament, King Solomon was one of the wisest of wise. He was the epitome of human achievement. Now remember, the Bible is the best commentary on the Bible. There's only one other place in scripture where the number six 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 is mentioned. It's found in Second Chronicles chapter nine, verse thirteen. And it says there the weight of gold that came to Solomon yearly was six hundred and sixty six talents of gold. There's another connection between Solomon and the number six six six. In first Kings chapter ten, we learned that when you looked at his throne, you saw six lines to the left, six steps in the center, and six lines to the right, six six six. So when you think about the numbering, you think about the Antichrist, don't think again of, of Darth Vader, don't think of Osama bin Laden, don't think of Adolf Hitler, don't, don't think of those guys. Think of someone like King Solomon. There's a lot of parallels. David was a man of war, and because of it he was, allowed, was not allowed to build the temple. Solomon was a man of peace, and he was a temple builder. That's how the, the beast, the Antichrist, starts. He builds a false peace. He helps rebuild the temple. Both men are admired for their wisdom. Both will start out as God-fearing leaders, but eventually lead people into idolatry. Both will amass uh, amass great amounts of fortune. The parallels are numerous. Suffice it to say, the beast doesn't show his faith until he has the world in his clutches. Evil is not always so easily identified. And, and, And the Antichrist will be further proof that man, apart from God even at his best, even at his most refined, is still corrupt to the core, brazenly rebellious in need of a Savior. But sadly, in the end, the great human hope will turn beastly. But know this, the Antichrist, the most powerful human in the world at the time, that the world will ever know, will still just be a man. The ultimate and human and demonic power is, 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 a, is a six, not perfect. God is perfect. God is seven. So when the Antichrist is finally revealed, there will be some way to identify him with his basic number of man, or his name may have the numerical equivalent of 666, but, but that is left for those to figure out who have to face the tribulation period. Because again, the Bible teaches that the Antichrist will not be revealed until the church is taken out of the way. Listen to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 6-8 to in the New Living Translation. And you know what is holding it back, speaking of the Antichrist, for he can be revealed only when his time comes. For this lawlessness is already at work secretly, and it will remain secret until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. Then the man of lawlessness will be revealed, but the Lord Jesus will kill him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him with the splendor of his coming. The Holy Spirit working in the believer's life today is hindering the Antichrist from being revealed. Once the Holy Spirit's restraining power through the church, through believers, is removed, the Antichrist will make his move. He'll be revealed. Now you may ask, is the Antichrist alive today? Well, we don't know for sure. Personally, I I, I lean towards the fact that he is. I look at the way, the way things are in this world. I don't see how he can't be. But I also think that we shouldn't be concerned about trying to figure out who the Antichrist is. Nowhere in Scripture we're told to be looking for the Antichrist. We're rather told to be looking for Jesus Christ. Jesus said, when you see, see these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. See, as we close... And as chapter 13 closes, it closes with the evil beastie boys on top of the world. But remember, Jesus is the king of beasts. And if you remove chapters 11 through 14 from Revelation, you know, it would be like watching a football game without knowing who's who on the roster on it. You'd enjoy the action, but you couldn't identify the players. These chapters here, there really is a roster. Uh, 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 of end times. The rebel forces include a dragon and a beast and is accomplished of the false prophet. God's troops. You know, you got 144,000 Jewish evangelists, two Jerusalem witnesses, three angelic messengers, one like the son of man who's carrying a sharp sickle, and the armies of heaven. Chapter 13 focuses on the bad guys, the beastie boys, and like any good roster, it lists his jersey number, 666. But chapter 14... And I can't wait to get to chapter 14. We get to God's team. And it's only fitting that the first person listed and our, best, and our best player, our captain, our coach, our manager, our team owner, our everything rolled into one. Begins in verse 1 of chapter 14. Then I looked and behold a lamb standing on Mount Zion. I love that. That's where you need to hear a hearty amen. You see, because right here now John sees Jesus. After all, the book of Revelation is what—it's the revelation of Jesus. This book is about Jesus. Jesus is no longer the humble Galilean preacher who walked down dusty trails in the first century of Israel. He's now the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He's glorified. He's exalted. And totally, all creation is under His feet. And He is in complete control. And we'll look at this next week in chapter 14. Powerful picture. It needs to shape how we think of Jesus today. One day soon, the Lamb will stand where He once was slaughtered. He'll be glorified when He was crucified. He'll be worshipped where He was hated. He'll rule from a throne where He hung on a tree. Where Jesus showed mercy, He'll bring about justice. I want to close with this. The signs are here that Jesus could come back at any moment for His church. There's nothing biblically or, 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 or scripturally or prophetically in the way of that happening. There's nothing that still has to happen before the rapture of the church. In fact, before we we sing our last closing song, the Lord could take us home in the rapture. For those of you that know me, it could be right now, as I said over and over again. Right now. Now. It's been a while since I've tried it, but I thought I'd try it again. Now. One of these days, we're going to be out of here. Wouldn't that be great? Man, I just am preaching, and I'm going. To, we could go at any moment. Man, what a powerful sermon that would be! But we need to be living with that expectation that at any moment we can be in the presence of our Savior, prayerfully, right before any of us have to go back to work or back to school, or prayerfully before January twentieth, inauguration day. Because, again, there's no sign, there's no prophecy that needs to be fulfilled before the church is taken off the earth. Wouldn't it be wonderful, within the next few months, the Lord really did take us home and fulfill that promise in John 14 where he said, I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. The Bible says, in His presence there is fullness of joy. In His right hand there are pleasures forevermore. I don't know about you, but I cannot wait. No more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more suffering, no more death. Yes, the Lord is coming for His church. But afterwards, this earth is going to face a time of trouble never before seen or ever will that will come upon this earth. And my prayer is that if you're here this morning, or if you're watching online, and you're not born again, and you've not given your life to Jesus Christ, that you would not wait one single moment longer. Surrender your heart. Surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Get saved today. Saved from God's wrath that's coming upon this earth. Saved from from eternity in hell separated from God. Saved so that you'd be in the presence of the Savior who went to the cross and died for your sin upon that cross. You say, well, how do I do that? Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10 tells us, if you confess with your mouth that the Lord Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. Believe in your heart that Jesus died for you. Confess it with your mouth. Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sin. I turn from it today. And Jesus Christ will come into your life. He'll forgive you of your sin. And you can be born again this morning. Please, don't leave here without making that commitment if you're not born again. Don't click off the online service without committing your life to Jesus Christ today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time this morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. Lord, we know that you have a plan. All of this is in your control, and you're allowing these events to happen. Lord, in the times in which we're living, we're certainly seeing the the uh, pieces fall into place that fit so well, Lord. Not really seeing any pieces that don't fit. Lord, it really seems to all fit, all seem to, to fall into place, which is an excitement for us, Lord, because we recognize that your return for your church is near. So, Lord, help us to live with that anticipation. Help us to to occupy uh, with doing the things that that bring you glory and honor in our lives, Lord. Help us not to get caught up in the cares of this world and the concerns of, of this life. But, Lord, help us to keep focused on serving you, knowing you, bringing honor to you, and living for you. And finally, Lord, if there's anyone who's listening, anyone who's here that has not surrendered their heart and life to you, They're not born again. Lord, would you especially touch their heart today? That they would call out to you, cry out to you, Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. I turn from it today. I give my life to you. Forgive me. Cleanse me. I surrender. Lord, I pray if there's anyone listening, anyone watching, Lord, that they would make that commitment today. That they wouldn't wait any longer. Thank you, Lord, for this time together. Thank you for the hope that we have as believers, the hope of heaven. Thank you, Lord, for for the forgiveness of our sin. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer,